Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. And today we're going to talk about making your farm or homestead a nonprofit business or how not to make money on purpose. So we're going to be joined today by Claire Orner. And uh, Claire is co-owner of uh, Quiet Creek Herb Farm and School of Country Living, located in Brookville, Pennsylvania. How you doing, Claire? Great. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Annie. Right. Yeah. I just want to say one thing. Okay. It's not I, – I put not for profit because yeah. I thought it would sound like a joke if I said nonprofit because those of us who are farmers, farmers know there is no profit. So so, so uh, not for profit. Pretty, pretty much every farm is a nonprofit. So. That's right. Okay. So, um, Claire, Claire, um, again, welcome. And um, why don't you tell us just a little bit about Quiet Creek? Sure. Sure, Jay. And – I'm glad to share this with everyone, and any questions anyone has down the road, know that our mantra is, there are no secrets at Quiet Creek, so ask away. Um, Basically, we're a 30-acre farm in northwestern Pennsylvania, so we focus on education as our key mission, a mission to help people live healthful, sustainable lives, a mission to teach people to think ecologically and a mission to help save natural resources. So we have plenty to share in the generations to come. And, and how did you get started? I mean, uh, located there. I've been there. It's beautiful. So, But uh, did, did you actually start as a business, or you just started because you wanted to be a farmer? Oh, really good questions. Okay, we'll start with um, your question, Annie. We started as a, for, a for-profit farm, not knowing that non-profits were not-for-profits would be the better route to take. Uh, When Rusty and I moved back here, this is where we both grew up. I was in Seattle, Washington as a graduate student in science education, and Rusty, my husband, was um, a landscape gardener in Wickford, Rhode Island. So the last year of my grad program, we married, so we were both on the Pacific Northwest coast. We had a chance to buy this farm. Um, His folks are about... 30 miles away, and I have two sisters out of my four sisters that live just over the hill from this farm. So we had a chance to um, purchase it, and I began a school teacher, science teacher, and Rusty started a landscape business. And um, we were starting our business with that in mind so we could build community. I know as an educator, people want to know that you're an educator and so on and so forth. And then Rusty started building gardening landscape business. But I retired to the farm probably five years into our for-profit business. And then shortly after that, we wrote the, the regs or, you know, met all the qualifications with the IRS. Mm-hmm. and became incorporated as a not-for-profit. Okay, it sounds a bit windy there, so we'll let you get into shelter. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of static at different so, times. Okay, that so great. I gladly will do that. So, what are some of the advantages? Because um, obviously, you you say you started out as a for profit, but then you transitioned to a not for profit. Uh, what was the what was really the primary motivation for doing that? Yeah, the real motivation was to be able to write grants to be able to bring as many um, pre-kindergarten to adults 
to Quiet Creek to let them enjoy the farm. And there's many foundations and federal and state agencies that want to meet the mission that Quiet Creek has, and uh, they have tax dollars available to educate, and the foundations have um, corporate profits available. And so once you become a not-for-profit, you can write grants to seek that funding so their mission is met, Quiet Creek's mission is met. So that was our real intent. We wanted to try to educate as many people as possible, but we found um, many school districts, you know, pre-kindergarten organizations, they just may not have the funding to put out to make a field experience or to come on a regular basis. We've been doing a lot of that where the kids come weekly or we go into their classroom weekly. Do you find that um, with the not-for-profit status, you, uh, we, I always used to say there was like the white hat kind of thing. You're you're suddenly like a good guy, you know, because you're considered <laughs> non Yeah, and... I think a lot of people view us that way. Mm-hmm. Jay, um, I think you truly are a public servant. I put it in the same category as like a male person or a teacher or, you know, um, working for the post office. We're not federal or state workers or county workers, but we are working for the general population to improve a certain topic, and in our case, um, become more sustainable. So so right from the start, you were thinking about this, uh, you know, it's a farm, but, but it was more of an educational activity. Um, is that really how you viewed it right from the start? Yeah, we really did. We um, started having classes and free festivals right off the bat. I think I was in my first year of teaching, and I had a group of seventh graders, and we opened it up for them to come out with their families and then opened it up to the Brookville community, the closest little town that we serve. And so right off the bat, so this all started in 1996, but we became official uh, status as a 501c3 in 2003. Okay, so it was a long process then. Yeah, kind of, you know, where to go. Um, it was a fun opportunity because in my family we give homemade gifts in our extended family, and my brother is a certified public accountant, and his homemade gift for me was to help me write the necessary documents for the IRS uh-huh. <laughs> to become a not-for-profit. So very nice gift. So one of the things uh, that Jade asked also was, what do you think are some of the disadvantages? Because I was thinking about the fact that, um, so you have this not-for-profit and you're working hard and it's a beautiful place. I uh, have been there to visit and really think the world of what you're doing. But I'm thinking, all right, at some point you might get tired of doing that or you might be into a place where you need to retire or maybe there's some health issues. How does that work, that transition? Um, and would that fall into disadvantages or advantages? Oh, good question. And thanks for the kind words too, Annie. Yes, I would say um, the disadvantage would be as any teaching component, you know, you are on, you are high speed, like today, 180 fifth graders just, you know, went out the door, jumped on four school buses and headed about 50 miles east of here. You know, high intensity 
you know, we had threat of thunderstorms, but it was a beautiful day. And with seven learning stations, the kids learned everything from worm composting to um, making fruit and vegetable smoothies and so on. So um, the the disadvantage is, you know, it's high energy. It's a lot of effort um, to organize and to make things happen. But if any of us in our audience have taught before, it's kind of like parenting. It can be some of the most grueling years of our life, but it can also be some of the most rewarding years of our lives. So um, I would say definitely um, lots and lots of work, but any type of farming, if we're farming goats or sheep, in this case we're educating human beings, homo sapiens, so it's, it's a little bit different, um, but still it takes a lot of effort and it's a passion And to get into something like this, you really want to be committed. Um, Another disadvantage may be, as a not-for-profit, you are governed by a board of directors, and those people sit on your board, they advise you, they may take on certain roles, maybe they help you with marketing, maybe they help you with IT, maybe they help you with payroll, um, but they need to be chosen carefully and selectively in, sen- in the sense that you want them to definitely be your cheerleaders and not cause animosity. I've never in my 20, I guess 24 years of work here at Quiet Creek, I've had wonderful supportive board members, but you always hear through the grapevine that sometimes you have a board that is not supportive and they can be extremely critical and um, cause you setbacks. Or fire you. Or fire you. Or fire you. I've been fired by board, not for profit boards before, believe me. Well, they they were just doing their job. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Kicking me to the curb. Uh Yeah, Yeah, so you're right, Annie. A lot of people shy away from that. And um, being such a community builder myself, I find my board energizes me and gives me good ideas and and just really helps me along the way. Um, I don't feel any imposition. I feel I'm autonomous to make decisions and bring it to the board, and they give their stamp of approval. So uh, it's worked well at Quiet Creek. Um, It takes some grooming. You know, we really try to give our board um, a lot of status, and offer them wonderful farm-to-table meals whenever we have a meeting to make it really enjoyable. So you're bribing them with food, huh? Yes, we are honoring them (laughs) with what the the farm is all about, the farm school is all about. So it, 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 it is a nice reciprocation. Well, in terms of non nonprofit board status, I'm wondering, do they uh, do they create the budget and do they raise money and also make their own financial contribution commitment? I think some boards do, Annie. At Quiet Creek, they do not. It's a pretty passive position. Um, we do all the fundraising. Uh, we, you know, take care of writing the grants. You know, we keep the infrastructure maintained. Um, yeah, they have to meet with us four times a year. The third, excuse me, the fourth meeting is only an email meeting. The other three are face to face. So it's not a lot on their part. Um, 
and it gives us just kind of a stamp of approval every quarter to hear from them. Right. That way, then you don't have to worry about getting kicked to the curb for sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I know are, some. Go yeah. Ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, what what are some of the issues around down the road as far as retirement? Um, you know, how how does that transition happen? Because you don't really own the the uh, corporation. The uh, the board owns it. So. Right, and we're right there at that transition point. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, just last week, a young couple. Uh, Robert and Jesse Orth, with their son William, returned to the farm. They had been apprentices in 2011-12, and they returned to the farm to become the new stewards of Quiet Creek. And so Rusty and I will mentor them for the next six months, and then we will transition out. We'll still be on the board of directors, um, but Robbie and Jess will take on the leadership roles there and they will begin um, maintaining and meeting the mission of the farm. Then where are you so, going? Oh, wait, Jay's giving me the high sign. No, not yet. No, not I'm, okay. I'm listening. I was, I was just in my mind thinking, you know, old farmers never die. They just go to seed. You know, oh. I just thought that was cute. But, uh, oh, so. yeah, that's a good one, Jay. Yeah. One. So, so yeah. what's going to happen then for you? Where are you going? Yeah, we we're, we're, uh, have a list of areas that we feel our gifts can be needed if we return to Ghana and help um, that youth group that we met with in 2018 help them grow more different types of mushrooms or if we return to Guatemala and help the dragon fruit farm um, start an herbal soap business. We're looking at different places across the world that we as U.S. citizens and I'm speaking for myself, my generation, you know, we've really done some damage in certain areas. So Rusty and I are looking at building relationships in some of these geographic communities that could uh, use some extra help. And um, so we haven't decided exactly where that's going to be. We're hoping uh, Vision 2020 occurs the 1st of January. So during this process, we'll be uh, looking at opportunities of how we can serve others somewhere across the world. Okay, well, I'm going to interrupt you there and say that you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you, as we do all the time, Annie, it is the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. And thank God. And today we're speaking with uh, Claire Orner, uh, and she is co-owner, along with her husband, Rusty, uh, of Quiet Creek Herb Farm and School of Country Living in Brookville, Pennsylvania. So, and we're talking about creating a not-for-profit entity around your farm or homestead. I know we've referred to your place as a farm, but I guess I would, I would kind of, I don't know. It, it doesn't strike me as a traditional farm in any stretch of the uh, imagination. I mean, you're not out planting corn and soybeans and. Yeah, but yeah, that's no a misnomer. Animals. That's a misnomer. I mean, yeah, lots no of animals. us are farmers, and we aren't growing soybeans yeah, yeah, and so, wheat. And so corn. tell us, tell us a little <laughs> bit about your crops. Uh, what yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, you do a lot of education, but uh, I know you grow things as well. Yeah. So um, to educate our school groups and beyond, we have display gardens with all types of edible flowers and culinary herbs, medicinal herbs. We have um, a mushroom farm with shiitake, namiko, 
lion's mane, rishi, maitake. So all aspects of the farm can be a part of the curriculum. My son led the fifth graders today on a nature trail, and they planted trees. Um, the Game Commission here in Pennsylvania wants to get all different kinds of trees out there as feeder plants for the wildlife. So the kids, you know, how better to mitigate climate change than to be out planting trees and really enjoying the outdoors. Um, so we also have two high tunnels where we grow a lot of hot weather herbs, basil, lemongrass, lemon verbena, um, our peppers, both sweet and hot, all kinds of tomatoes. And then all those vegetables or herbs or edible flowers, they're then brought back into the farm setting as value-added products that are available in our shop or um, as, as meals. So often any of our classes, people come and then they have a farm-to-table luncheon or dinner. Maybe part of the curriculum is to create it. Um, or maybe they go out in the woods and they harvest wild edible mushrooms and different plants, and then they bring it back, and I prepare it while they go out and learn more. So those are some of the so-called crops, both um, foraging, wildcrafting, and then cultivated in display gardens and high tunnels. And you've also integrated some other interesting aspects of sustainable living. I know you have a straw bale um, addition to your to your barn that's nice. You've got a solar array, a wind turbine. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. The beehive in the in the wall of the uh, shop that you have. And uh, well, maybe you could talk a little bit about that kind of a partnership because you're talking about doing these different projects. But the solar array was a project that we worked on together and um, had a had a kind of a partnership. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Oh, yes, to, to find you two, Jay and Annie, at PASA, um, I'm going to say maybe four to five years ago, you both were there um, as speakers with the Pennsylvania Association for Sustainable Ag, and um, we were just so excited to see what you were doing. And then knowing that you are true educators in so many areas and renewable energy solar arrays are one of your specialties. So I think um, we had a connection, and Annie, you reached out to us, and we were thrilled to be able to host Jay here for, is it two or three workshops now? Yeah, I think we've had three so far. Yeah, and we have another one planned Mm -hmm. this summer. We're so excited, um, middle of July. Um, And so your five-day workshop really gives people uh, the inside information, you make it enjoyable. It's just amazing. And people walk away with their certification. They can be employed or, in our case, as farm owners, uh, homeowners, be able to do an installation with, with the knowledge that you've given us, your students. Yeah, so we're mm-hmm. so excited. And unbelievable, the cost has come down tremendously Jay, you're going to have to really crunch some numbers for me, but sure. I'll just make a comparison. We, we, myself and one of my interns, we wrote an energy harvest grant, and we able, were able to get the funds to put in a small turbine, you know, 2.5 kilowatt capacity and a, two small arrays, 2.6 kilowatt capacity. Um, 
And that cost was high-priced. And what I want to share with you is what, Jay, you helped us put in. Um, it was about a 4.2 kilowatt solar array. That cost was about a third of the cost that we um, used as funding from the Energy Harvest Grant, and that was in 2009. So, Jay, are you seeing things just drop every year? Oh yeah, yeah, in, yeah. We in, we put in, in a cost? Yeah. we put in a 3.75 kW array at our farm in 2014, and just the cost of materials was around twelve thousand dollars. And in 2018, 2019, now we're able to get the same material for in the $4,000 to $5,000 range. So the prices are dramatically lower. Although I'll, I'll tell a quick little cute story. I know uh, after we installed the solar array there at your place, and I was staying in your little straw bale cabin, and that evening we had gotten everything hooked together, and I think you were gone, and Rusty was still there. And it was after dark, and all of a sudden, all the electricity went off. <laughs> and and I, I thought, what did we do wrong? You know. So I walked outside. Oh, it was our, probably our power company. It was, but Rusty was yeah. out on the driveway. I was on the driveway, and he's looking at me going, what did you do? <laughs> then fortunately, all your, all your neighbors had no power either, so we were very You, you were very on pleased. the phone with me, and you said, oh, my God, the electricity <laughs> just went out. What did I do wrong? <laughs> oh, oh, Annie, I'm so proud of Jay. Oh, he, yeah. He makes, a ha- he makes a project happen. And yeah, he he's a funny. He's funny. The end, I mean, you talk about someone dedicated to his work. Anyway. Well, let me say yes. that that one of the things since we're talking about not for profit is that and and we are not a not for profit, although sometimes it might be not for profit. We're non profitable. <laughs> yeah. uh... No, that's not true. But what I was gonna say is our business model, which works really well with yours, because what we did with the solar project was to say, All right, you're gonna work with us. We're going to teach this class, but you're going to help us, and you're going to market the class, and you're going to host people and give us a, a, a workspace to teach the class. And then we shared a portion of the uh, revenue from the registration. So that, to me, is a different model than how most people are working. It's different in that we were able to work with you, and we had the leeway to do it. But also, in return, you worked with us as a for-profit and it wasn't a grant or anything like that. And I think that's valuable for people in the future to be thinking about in any kind of business setting or not-for-profit is there are businesses out there like us who really want to have these kind of partnerships with groups who are really trying to look at sustainability and how to get the word out about living differently. And that just is a great partnership. Oh, absolutely. And if, if there are any businesses out there listening – um, take this opportunity and run with it because Jay and Annie are true professionals. They make things happen. Knowledgeable. I can't say enough about what you two can do to we're, help. Actually, we're really funny. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. what everybody says yeah. at the end of the week. The, the, <laughs> checks, right. the check's in the mail, Claire. We'll be, uh, <laughs> we'll be paying thanks you. Thanks for, for the advertisement. You are amazing. Yeah, well. You are amazing. My son and my husband are not Mars, math savvy, you know. I mean, they're both very creative men. I mean, they have so many gifts. But Jay helped them go through the math. I mean, Jay, I don't know if you ever, if you were a math teacher at one time, but 
you made it all so understandable to them. They both swear by it, and then I know it's the because other, it's because I just make stuff up. You know, it's like. <laughs> We, yeah, we, we never let the facts. The <laughs> That's right. Although I do remember when they put the uh, extension on the array, I was there, and uh, and they couldn't get the computer and the array to talk to each other. <laughs> and I don't know who finally got the idea to call up the company, who yeah. then were able to like com- completely fix it because they're like, oh, we can see what you're doing. Asking and, directions. Yeah, That's asking for directions. That's what we kept mm-hmm. saying, Claire, was, guys, you know, you need to ask for directions. <laughs> and that happened. Yeah. They're like, go away and eat your lunch. Well, <laughs> yeah. I was I was going to yeah. ask you right. too, Claire. You're talking about working with the board of directors, but you also work with a lot of volunteers and and mm-hmm. interns. You called some people apprentices. I don't know if that's your term for interns or or if that's a yeah, it's thing. interchangeable. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. So so what kind of challenges? What kind of rewards have you seen in in all of that? Yeah, it's always been very rewarding. It, our apprentices become part of our family, and I know you have the same situation at your farm in Ohio. You know, people come back, they want to uh, find out what's going on, they want to continue to volunteer, or they stay in touch, you know, mm-hmm. and they start other farms, and, and they just share their successes with you. So, you know, working with, with humans, we all know, we all have our challenges. So <laughs> Working with humans, there's the, challenge. there's the challenge, Claire, all those humans. Yeah. <laughs> all those humans, yes, as we know. So I know I can be quirky and hard to work with sometimes, just like anyone else. So working through human dynamics, personal relationships can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing is we don't do any money exchange, and so it's room and board and any education along the way. So it's it's a nice model that I like. It may not be for everyone, but I'm really happy with it. Yeah. I, but I, with our new stewards, they're 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 compensated. Rusty and I will step out, and they will step in, and they will have a payroll. I, yeah. I wanted to tell you that this is the same model that we have, and we really believe in it because, yeah. as far as the interns and stuff, because we're investing in young people. Mm-hmm. And the reality is when, when people go to college or university, they the university or college doesn't apologize for charging tuition. And so the fact that, you know, you're working for food and labor and education, it makes complete sense. Um, yeah, there's though, ownership building. Yeah, there? yeah. Yes, Annie. You, and I, you, I just did a, a webinar with a national uh, group where we talked about internships, and they sent in their questions ahead of time. And every question was about compensation and liability. And I said, look, this isn't the wor- this isn't the webinar for that. We're going to talk about how you actually run a really great internship program where they're not your slaves. And yes. and so I didn't. They are family. Yeah, that's right. That it's really about uh, education and sharing and partnership and everything. So mm-hmm. anyway, so we're coming to the close, and I wanted to ask you, what's the best advice you ever received? Oh wow! And and, a, and let's make this great. around farming. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're going to limit oh, yeah. ourselves here. Yeah, definitely. Well, <laughs> I think I can sum it up around farming. Um, my best advice that I'll pass forward. Take time off every week for yourself, your partner, your family, your friends, and really give yourself some downtime. 
Okay. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, All right. I Thanks, say that is my best advice. Okay, <laughs> great. All right, well, you've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke and Claire Orner today. We want to thank Adam Rich, our producer, and thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And your grandmother hopefully probably told you, Annie, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and Jay, eat your vegetables. All right. I will. Thank Mother you. Earth will sing and her children will be You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at BlueRockStation.com.